Welcome to the Voices of Grambling podcast. I am Natalie Warren, and today Faith Carr will be interviewing Grambling State University President Rick Gallo. I'm so glad you took um, time out of your busy, busy schedule to talk to us today, and we're so glad to have you here. Um, We are doing a history podcast, and we have a series of questions we feel that you would be the first person we would go to. Um, You are uh, a Grambling alum yourself, and we feel that you are a great representation of of what it means to be a Gremlinite. And we want to come with you with these questions. We feel that um, you'll be able to accurately answer them, and we look forward to having a good conversation with you. Thank you. Thank you so much for, for having me on. As I was uh, telling Dr. McGowan, as a um, history major and uh, with, with mom having worked in the department for so many years, uh, I'm honored that, that you all would, uh, would invite me to be on. Okay, team history major. All right. Okay, so my first question is going to be, what is your favorite part of being president here? You know, when I read the question uh, as they were sent, but over a week or so ago, uh, I had one set of answers uh, to, to give you. Uh, but this just this morning, I uh, went to Starbucks and uh, saw two of our students who work there, and each of them separately said, hey, Prez. <laughs> And then I, I went to Lowe's uh, to pick up some things and, and ran into a student there and say, hey, Perez, you know, just hearing that uh, from our students is, is something that, I mean, it, it certainly brightens my day uh, to, to know that, uh, that, that, you know, students have that connection with me and, and me with them. And so uh, that, that's one of the many things that, that, I, uh, that I certainly enjoy about uh you know about being president you know i I often uh along with our team think about how we can what the future looks like for for grambling i know there'll there'll be another question later on about uh, about the future but how can we build on the legacy of this institution but add technology you know what what would it look like for our students to have smart apartments where you know you wake up uh, to uh, a connected apartment where you say Siri or whatever the the other technology is hey Siri uh, start the coffee pot Mm -hmm. you know or hey what's the other one the uh, on the little echo dot Uh, what's her name Alexa Alexa yeah Alexa let up the blinds wouldn't that be pretty cool that would be excellent. <laughs> that would be excellent. So, you know, I mean, we, we of course, have our uh, soon-to-open digital library that, uh, oh, I've said Alexa, and I think she was answering uh, somewhere here in the studio. Um, our digital library will be opening soon. You know, that is first and only in the state of Louisiana. We'll be the only HBCU with a digital library. You know, those are the kinds of things that, that we think about. How can we not only make your experience amazing while you're here, but also provide you with the best and brightest tools to, to use as you're studying uh, here, here at Grambling? So, you know, just thinking about the future, building what's next, building what will be, uh, you know, something that will provide an amazing experience for, for our students. Uh, I agree. I agree. We do need we do need people in in power who are thinking for while also like keeping tradition and culture and the the kinship. Like you said, meeting meeting some of um the students here at at Starbucks and you know them having that relationship with you. So I think I think you're 
thinking in a, a great direction. And, and, you know, just to tie in that to, to the legacy, the things that really have put Grambling on the map, because when you think about it, I mean, we're located in rural north central Louisiana. You right. know, our, our brand really shouldn't be as, as big as it is. We, we really shouldn't be as well known as we are, but we are. And, and so you think about Eddie Robinson and, and all the things that, that he did, you know, to take our team to New York to, to play the Whitney Young Classic against, uh, against Morgan State. Uh, you, you think about Perez Jones, who was, you know, a classroom teacher. He was the baseball coach. He started the band, uh, wrote the school fight song, and was president for 41 years. You know, just some amazing people who, who did things that were not ordinary that, that made this institution who we are now. Conrad Hutchinson is recognized as really the, the father of the modern HBCU sound because before that, uh, bands were more military style because that was you know, pretty much what was, uh, uh, what was done in march- marching bands. He completely transformed that sound and created the the new HBCU sound and so so many things that we did were, were groundbreaking and that's what we want to do is to continue to do things that haven't been done before like cybersecurity first and only in state of Louisiana with a bachelor's degree in cybersecurity first and only bachelor's degree in cloud computing so we are about setting trends uh, here at this university and and so that that's another exciting part of of what uh, what I I'm blessed to be able to do here. That's that's excellent, and we see it here every day. <laughs> we see it here every day. Okay, the next question is going to be: You started your professional career as a lawyer in public service, and now you are a president of a prominent historically black university. Did you always intend on returning to your alma mater to become president? And how did you feel your law background has influenced how you run the university? You know, I, I always chuckle at, at that question because when, when I graduated in uh, the summer of 1987, back when we had summer commencements, I made three promises. I said, I will never live in Grambling, I will never work at Grambling, and I'll never go into politics. And I ended up doing all three, okay? All three. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, on the politics, my, my dad was always involved in, in local politics here, and he was uh, mayor during my high school years. And I remember a lady calling our house one morning at 5 a.m. to let the mayor know that a dog turned over her garbage can. <laughs> That's a true story. That's something that, you know, the mayor needed to know at 5 a.m. And I, at that point, at 15, I said, oh, I'll... I'll never go into politics. I didn't do SGA when I was here. I, I didn't. I didn't want to do anything political. And so, uh, that that's probably why you know my, my favorite scripture now is Proverbs nineteen twenty one. Many of the plans in a person's heart, but it's the Lord's purpose that mm-hmm. prevails. And so, I had no uh, plans to go into politics, but served on the city council, served in the House of Representatives, served in the in the state senate. Uh, you know, ended up back here. I didn't think that I would. I said I wouldn't. So. You know, again, th- this was not something that, um, that I ever thought that I would do. But as I look back on my experiences um, in public service and in the practice of law, it prepared me for, uh, it actually prepared me for, uh, for this role. Because when you, when you think about, you know, why do you call a lawyer? 
got a problem of some some sort an issue mm-hmm. that uh, that needs to be resolved uh, as a state legislator you know people call when they have issues they have problems that they're trying to get uh, fixed and resolved and and it's really no no different uh, as president whether it's a student who and this is real life uh, who you know sends me a direct message on Twitter that you know our housing portal is all you know jacked up because they didn't get the room they wanted mm-hmm. okay mm-hmm. I, I get a few of those mm-hmm. uh, you know or you know a student who comes and and uh, has a gap between the amount of aid they have and the amount they need to um, to complete registration or you know you name it uh, so so a lot of what I did also I guess the the relationships that uh, that I developed in state government mm-hmm. uh, certainly play a great role in how we're able to get a lot of things done and get them done pretty quickly. You know, there, there are still people who are wondering how we're about a month away from opening our library when LSU still has, you know, water in the basement in their library. Wow. Yeah. So, you know, God's good. I'll, I'll say that. But also, you know, having a governor who supports us as well as, you know, members of the legislature, uh, leadership in, in the legislature, all of that certainly makes a difference in terms of our ability to be able to get things done here. You know what they say, we plan, God laughs. Uh-huh, that's right. <laughs> and it sets you up for um, success here. Okay, moving on to the next question. Which previous president helped you the most with your transition into your current role, and what did they do that stood out? Ooh, so I've known every president except for, um, for Adams. He, was, he, he died before I was born. But I've, I've known all, all of the other presidents. And so uh, when you think about uh, Perez Jones, the original Perez, uh, Ralph Waldo Emerson Jones, uh, he actually, when he retired, built his retirement home next to my parents. So I was able to, to see Perez in, in his you know, latter days after, uh, after retiring. Of course, I knew him you know, um, all of my life anyway. But it, it was interesting, every year or twice a year, whenever time changed, Prez would call for me to come to his house and change his clocks. So he, he ran Graham State University for 41 years, but he couldn't change his mm. digital clock. And so, uh, you know, the kid from next door, uh, you know, little Ricky, had to, uh, to come over and, uh, and, and change his clocks twice a year. So, uh, you know, but he was, he was such a, um, just, just such a, a great spirit. He was, uh, he was not tall in stature, but uh, the things that he did here were just, you know, absolutely incredible. He was the epitome of, of the politician. He knew how to get things done, whether it was to take a, a truckload of peaches down to the, uh, to the Capitol for the legislators, uh, you know, because we used to have a working farm here. Uh, and, and around uh, Thanksgiving time, uh, giving uh, turkeys to the local to the local politicians, uh, he knew how to connect with people and and how to get things done uh, for the for the betterment of of the university. Now, uh, you know, I will also say that there were people who did not uh, value or appreciate his approach. Uh, there were people who uh, who called him, you know. An Uncle Tom, for instance, because uh, of his his approach and his way of um, of relating to the politicians of the time, but uh, it was effective, 
And so, you know, it was uh, it was rare that he didn't get what he set out to get when he went down to the Capitol and, and talked to the uh, uh, to the legislators. One of those uh, stories, and there are tons of them, was uh, the, the time that he wanted to get the uh, the name of the of the school changed from the uh, Louisiana Negro Normal uh, School, and he said, you know, we're we're playing a, a basketball game and. Uh, you know, we score, and by the time the cheerleaders say, let's go, uh, Louisiana Negro Normal, said the other team's got the ball and gone back down the, the floor. We need a shorter <laughs> name, you, you know. And, and it was those kinds of things that, you know, there, there was laughter that erupted in the room, uh, but it was effective. They understood that we needed a shorter name, and so that led to the change of the name to Grambling College, you know. Right. Uh, so, you know, again, I, 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 there's so much that uh, – that I learned from from president, then of course uh, Joseph Benjamin Johnson, who was my president, uh, and of course he was uh, a good Kappa man too. So uh, you know, I, I certainly learned a tremendous uh, a tremendous amount of of what it was to be poised and uh, savvy in uh, in in being a president. Uh, one of my last conversations with um, with President Johnson. Uh, after I became president, uh, he said, look, it's uh, rarely going to be easy, uh, he said, but be your own man. That was one of the last things that I recall Dr. Johnson, you know, saying to me, be your own man. And and there are times that, uh, you know, you have to make decisions that may not necessarily be popular, um, you know, some that are difficult, but, you know, it is uh, that they are decisions that, you know, only I can make. In, in this role and so uh, you can't be scared uh, but uh, so so that was you know certainly something that one of the many things that I, I learned from uh, from President Johnson and again I've I've known them all and uh, I've so I think I've, I've I'm in a pretty good position to have seen what they did that worked and what didn't work and when you think about the first 90 years uh, of this institution we had three presidents. So Adams, 36 years, Jones, 41 years, Johnson, 14. And then from that time, 10 presidents over the next 25 years. And so, you know, some one year, two years, three years. I'm, I'm actually now the fourth longest serving president in Grambling history. Yeah, yeah, right after Johnson. So, um, so you know, again, having... <laughs> Having been around here, uh, I'd, I've seen, you know, some of the great things that, that some of our, our uh, previous presidents have done. You know, uh, when, when Dr. Favors was president, you know, he was able to uh, convince uh, then-sitting United States President uh, Bill Clinton to be the, uh, the commencement speaker. You know, that, that's the only time that that's ever happened in, uh, in, in, our, in our history. Not a lot of schools can say they've had a sitting president to serve as commencement uh, speaker. And I can tell you, it's not an easy thing. <laughs> it's not an easy thing to, uh, to, to accomplish. Uh, but you think about, uh, you know, Dr. Judson, although, you know, he um, didn't uh, necessarily have a great relationship with, the, um, with some of the locals uh, because he, he was pretty progressive. Uh, you know, the, the Tiger Village, all the, the student housing you see now is a result of a, a pretty big vision that he had to transform the, the housing uh, for our students here. 
during his tenure, the uh, and of course I was in the legislature by this time, uh, the, the Hobdy Assembly Center is a facility that uh, you know, we funded while, uh, while he was president, as well as the um, uh, Hutchinson uh, Performing Arts uh, Building. Though that's another one of the facilities that uh, that came about during his time. So, um, yeah, there, there's a, I could I could go on and on about uh, lessons learned, but uh, you know certainly um, I I feel like being around here certainly gives me a pretty good uh, vantage point of what what worked and what didn't with a lot of the previous presidents. Yes, not many can say that they changed the president's clocks. <laughs> you got some big shoes to fill, and we we see you filling them. Okay, the next question is going to be, how has the relationship between the city and the university changed over the course of your lifetime? So over my lifetime, it, uh, it, it's, it's changed a lot. Uh, you know, and again, uh, just as I've known all but one of the um, uh, presidents here at Grambling, I've known all but, no, I've known all of the mayors of uh, of Grambling, so um, you know the university was uh, was founded in 1901. Uh, the uh, the village of Grambling was incorporated in uh, 1954, I believe it was. So uh, the the school was here before the uh, before the town, and so you know I've I've seen periods where uh, there has been great relationships between the uh, between the university and the town. There have been times that, that there have been um, not so great uh, relationship between the two. You know, I, I think we're you know, we're certainly in a period of uh, of transition right now. Um, you know, but at at the end of the day, you know, certainly having served in, in local government, I, I fully understand um, the importance of having the city government, but I also understand the limitations that uh, that local government has as it relates to the operations of. Uh, of the university, and you know, f although I do live in the city of Grambling, I pay taxes in the city of Grambling. My first responsibility is to all of you, our students. And so, when uh, when when those things uh, conflict, I'm always going to land on what's the best interest for for our students. And if that happens to get me crossways with with city government you know so be it um, you know because at the end of the day uh, I have a responsibility to to you all and to this university uh, first first and foremost okay next question uh, a fun question since you grew up in Gremlin and your mother taught at the university you probably have some interesting stories about the university when you were young would you be interested in sharing some how much time do we have left <laughs> You know, I mean, I, I I attended nursery school through college on this campus. So, you know, I mean, I have 50, almost 56 years of uh, memories that, uh, that, that I could share. I, I will say, you know, very young, uh, my mother used to uh, take me to see the band practice. That was something that, uh, that, that I always enjoyed doing. And it was a... a a dream of mine to uh, to be in the band. So you know, when it was time to graduate from from high school, and you know, weighing different uh, offers. I mean, I had a, an offer to Dartmouth, which is a, an Ivy League school, but I always wanted to be in the band. And so uh, you know, it. Uh, and some might say, "Oh, you, you turned down an Ivy League school to to come to Grambling?" Yeah, I did. Uh, and and I think it was you know one of the best decisions that uh, that I, I could uh, could have made. 
So, um, you know, that's uh, one, you know, being able to, to grow up seeing the, uh, we weren't called the world fame back then. It was just the tiger marching band some, somewhere. I mean, we, we were world famous, of course, mm-hmm. uh, but the, 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 the name wasn't, uh, d- didn't come until later after, uh, after I was in the band. You know, I, I can remember when R.W.E. Jones out here, the, the street was, uh, was a, you know, just a, a two-lane street not four lane like it uh like it is now i can remember when the uh before the eddie robinson stadium uh playing in the memorial stadium which is you know on the other side of campus where the uh where the track is uh you know i I have memories of again us having a farm out where the facilities area is uh where the where the stadium is now i believe is where the the peach orchards were are certainly close to you know, to that particular uh, to that particular area. Uh, so yeah, I mean, I I remember as a kid seeing Doug Williams play, uh, for instance. Uh, you know, my uh, my dad uh, is a barber, or was a barber, and uh, used to cut Willis Reed's hair, who uh, we just honored recently uh, by retiring his jersey, and uh, of course he's uh, and, and naming the uh, the floor in the Assembly Center for for Willis Reed one of the you know 50 greatest players in NBA history and I can remember him sitting in my my dad's barber chair wow. uh yeah getting his uh getting his hair cut and so uh yeah just you know so so many so many memories and uh uh that uh, you know really I you don't have time to hear them all I wish I could <laughs> okay building on the previous oh sorry you attended Grambling State University in the late 1980s during a time when Reaganism was popular and racial tensions were high. How did the racial dynamics affect the relationship between Grambling students and Louisiana Tech students? Yeah, so m- m- mid-80s. Uh, so <laughs> Get it right. I, I, gra- I graduated from, from the uh, lab school in uh, 1984, uh, but because of high ability and, you know, going uh, – going to summer school every, every summer. I ended up finishing in, in 87, uh, which was uh, three years. Um, but, you know, the, the living in, in Grambling was, was very unique, and I, I didn't understand how unique until I, 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 I became an adult and, and uh, was able to, to really see and understand other areas. You know, I mean, when you live in a uh, in, in a city that's you know 99% black, okay, uh, you're somewhat insulated from racial tension because you just you don't have to. Uh, it's just not a part of of who you are. I mean, you know, m- my neighbors were black. The mayor was black. The president of the university was black. Uh, you know, so so it was something you. You know, you knew existed, but in a lot of ways, we were uh, we were insulated from from that growing up in in this community. You know, just right across the street from uh, from from my childhood home on Richmond Drive, here in Grambling, uh, lived uh, Dr. Lamore Carter, who was the provost, the vice president of academic affairs. You know. Uh, down the street was Dr. Perkins, who uh, taught in uh, in criminal justice I believe uh, uh, Dean Rollins from the uh, from from the uh, business school I mean I, I thought everybody had black PhDs up and down their street I mean you know I uh, 
I had I had one white teacher in uh, my entire K through 12 uh, experience. Uh, I think it was Miss Johnson who taught art at the at the lab school. You know, we had black male teachers. You know, so again, so so much of <laughs> of my upbringing here was so different than probably a lot of other communities uh, experienced uh, as it related to, you know, Reaganism and, you know, and Trumpism. You know, I, I can remember uh, being at the uh, senior executives in uh, state and local government program at the uh, Kennedy School at Harvard. And the, the topic was about, you know, racial profiling and, and how, um, you know, blacks uh, were targeted and, and profiled by white police officers. And I, I said, well, you know, in, in my hometown, uh, if uh, you see a white kid driving on Main Street and turns on Railroad Avenue, they're probably gonna get pulled over because you know they're trying to go see, I won't say his name, uh, to, to buy some weed. Okay, I mean the the weed man lived on uh, you know right off of Railroad Street. So if you were white in Grambling, and were in that particular area, yeah, you you probably got pulled over because there's only one reason why you would be if you were white to be in Grambling in that particular area, and that's to go see the weed man. So you know, again, I, I say all of that to say uh, we we enjoyed a certain level of uh, comfort from uh, a lot of the uh, you know a lot of the things that uh, that people experience and you know as I relate that to um, my role now as, as president and, and certainly as I'm out uh, recruiting uh, prospective students you know high school students I'll say you know at, at Grambling you're surrounded by a community of people who um, are here to support you in being successful and uh, you know you're supported in a lot of ways just by being who you are. You can be authentically black on this campus and not be, uh, you know, singled out for it. So you know if you want to wear braids or natural hair or long eyelashes or you know whatever you know what whatever whatever it means to be authentically you, you can do that here. Um, and so, uh, you know, that, that's one of the things that I think is still incredibly important about uh, communities like Grambling and universities like Grambling is that, you know, you can come here and be who God made you to be without feeling like you, you've got to fit into somebody else's box just to, uh, to, to, to get along. And I, you know, I often tell this story as well, and, and um, you know, Charles Blow, who is an alum, uh, and he, uh, New York Times columnist, um, Black News Channel, uh, you know, very accomplished in, uh, in, in the journalism field, um, has a son who attended Yale, and uh, his son was going to the library one evening, and so young black male with a backpack, was uh, approached by the Yale police with guns drawn wow. because a young young black man is going into the library. And so, you know, I tell prospective students, you know, GSUPD is not going to draw guns on you trying to go to the library. Right. 
And so, uh, again, that that those are just you know a few of the things that come to mind as as it relates to uh, some somewhat being insulated uh, in this community from uh, from Reaganism and and Trumpism and and a lot of those other isms that that uh, that we've experienced in our country. Okay, follow up question on that. Um, do you feel like um, saying what you describe Grandma as now and what you grew up in? Do you feel like that insulation could put you at a disadvantage? Many critics say that HBCUs are creating a false reality. Do you feel like that is true in a sense? Do you feel like you had problems, you know, going into politics where representation is low and what you were dealing with? Do you feel like that put you at a disadvantage? No, actually, I, I think it, uh, it, it served uh, as an advantage because, number one, uh, when you grow up in in this community, you 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 have a certain level of confidence mm. uh, that that I I, I think uh, you don't necessarily have an opportunity to get growing up in in some some other areas. Again, you know it was you know at, at the lab school it was it was cool to be smart. You know I mean it it wasn't something you you know you, you hear about about you know. Um, minority students in predominantly white, uh, especially in, in the K-12 system, you know, sometimes not wanting to, uh, to, to achieve because they would be singled out, you know, uh, or even some in, in minority schools, you know, not wanting to appear to be smart because that meant you were, you know, trying to be white, you know, right. or, or whatever. I mean, those just, those, those weren't issues that, that we, uh, that we had here. And so, you know, if you if you go to Mr. Taylor's math class, it's okay to be smart in there, right? And Expected. and it's all what you say? Expected. Expected, right? And and if you're not smart, guess what? He's gonna help right. to to get you up to speed because he's gonna take the time and he's gonna gonna explain it in such a way that that you will will be able to get it. Or if you're in Dr. Burke's uh, chemistry class, or I mean, no matter all across this campus you will you will be supported in in being excellent uh you know just think about think about the and and you know for for ladies in particular what it takes to um walk across the stage in the uh, calendar girl pageant i I mean that 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 takes a a lot of Mm self-confidence and and even for those who perhaps don't have a full dose of it before once they're able to go out on that stage and uh, and this is just one example you know to be able to go out on stage and 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 do that and and be celebrated is something that i think builds a, a level of confidence that prepares you to go out into the world so so you don't need validation of how smart you are or how you're able to speak the Queen's English and and uh, all of that at at Google or, or Microsoft or wherever you may find yourself or if you're no matter what what you're doing there's that level of, of confidence and excellence that you bring with you that will stand out so uh, so yeah now I, I push back on um, on on that uh, on the notion that uh, being in uh, in an all black or majority black uh, environment is somehow um, you know a, a, a handicap uh, that you have no I, I think it's very much a uh, an asset to uh, to matriculate and to grow 
uh, in this environment. Thank you so much for that. Building on the previous question, how did Grambling and Grambling faculty, staff, and students react to the political campaigns of former Ku Klux Klan Grand Wizard David Duke in the late 1980s and early 1900s? Duke drew most of his strength from northern parishes and received almost 40% of the vote in Lincoln Parish. Yeah, so uh, if, if you recall when, uh, when, when President Obama was, was running and he might say something in a speech and, and people start booing and he would say, don't boo, vote, mm. right? So that's what this community did, voted. Got students registered. And, and they were motivated. And, and I, I can recall uh, seeing the, the line literally around the Lincoln Parish Courthouse of Grambling State University students who were standing in line to vote, presumably, against David Duke. Okay, so it, it, was, it was a call to action that, uh, that, that students and, and faculty, staff, and others uh, responded to and responded at the ballot box and and so i think it it was certainly one of those moments that uh, that that you really saw and I, I can recall uh former state representative pinky wilkerson being a catalyst for uh for that call to action and uh you know pinky was incredibly involved and her dad had had been a you know civil rights leader here in in lincoln parish was you know someone who served on the school board for for many years and um in case you all don't know, that her, her father founded the collegiate shop that is still uh, still in existence uh, today. And, and so, you know, Pinky was, was real involved in, in helping to coordinate uh, transportation and, uh, and getting students down to, to the polls. So it, it quite frankly, was, was something that was an incredibly, um, it, was, it was great to see that, uh, you know, the way that, uh, that this community responded to uh, to, to, to David Duke and that brand of, uh, you know, politics. That, that, is, that is an incredible feel. Like we see today, like, where voter suppression is very much prevalent, it's, it's great to see that in the late 80s and in the, in the early 1900s, you guys were doing your best to put a fire <laughs> under those Gremlin students' butts, and they, were probably, they probably had that fire in them also to go out and vote and put the change in their hands. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And and you know, it, it's one of the things that you know is unfortunately, uh, you know, we have grown complacent uh, with uh, you know with the, the notion that well, my my vote doesn't count, or uh, you know, I don't care. They they gonna do what they want to do, whether I vote or not. You know, and and just that uh, that apathy that uh, that exists. And, and when you think about some of the um, some of the legislation that's being passed now, uh, I mean, it, it, it almost makes uh, Jim Crow not even seem so bad, you know. I mean, just imagine, and I, I just gave this, the, painted the picture of Grambling students standing in line, or literally wrapped around the Lincoln Parish Courthouse to vote uh, in that gubernatorial election. So according to the, the legislation passed in Georgia, if you gave one of those students a bottle of water, that would be illegal. I mean, you know, so when, when you talk about not only all the other hurdles of, you know, fewer um, 
polling places and limitations on on voting by mail and 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 all the other uh, limitations but just the the simple act of of kindness uh, to give you know whether it's a you know a, a 19 year old college student or a you know a 90 year old uh, you know veteran of uh, you know Vietnam or whatever you know a bottle of water because it's hot you know that not only is is that uh, is that in, inhumane I think that that flies in the face of what uh, has really made this this country great with all its flaws but you know the the idea of democracy that that we have access to the ballot box and and that that our vote does count this, this is really an, an attempt to uh, you know to uh, subvert all of that and, and to suppress the the votes of, of those who you know the, the and it's primarily Republican um, legislatures who are you know passing these laws so it's basically to keep black and brown and, and Democrats away from the from the ballot box and so uh, that's their way to to try and, and control uh, who gets gets elected and you know as you think about the changing demographics of of our country and and where we um, and where we are now you know the the landscape has changed significantly public schools across the country are now majority non-white so uh, and I uh, I don't know uh, what year it's expected that uh, black and brown citizens will outnumber white citizens in the uh, in this country but whites are having fewer children and especially Hispanics are having more children uh, blacks aren't having as as many but uh, you know when you see again the the trends are very clear and, and each census gives us an idea and that that's another thing you know there is there's been uh, um, you know an attempt over the decades to um, undercount some populations in uh, in in this country and then also providing a, a level of fear to it and especially to uh, you know to Hispanics that you know you, if you're counted then they're going to deport you or you know there's going to be you're going to have problems and so there are a lot of people who who just simply don't want to get uh, counted. There are also, and, and this is this is something that, that really just um, you know, uh, during the time I was I was in politics, and I guess even now, you know, people who won't register to vote because they feel that that is somehow going to uh, create some problem for them. That if I can just kind of fly, you know, under the under the radar, or off the grid, uh, then you know somehow life is is going to be good. Some people don't want to register to vote because the voter rolls are used to select jury pools. That is that is um, something to sacrifice for that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I mean, there are all there are all these different dynamics going on, and 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 really, the great equalizer in all of that is a good education. Mm -hmm. You know, the more you know, the the better you will. Uh, you know, the the better you will respond to these kinds of things. So I I can't. You know, it's not just because I'm the president of a university. <laughs> That I think education is important. I think it's important, just just holistically. That the more we know, the the, the, the better the better we do. Right. Of course, of course. The relationship between Gramlin and Louisiana Tech has varied, but has never been especially cozy. Do you believe this is because Gramlin is an HBCU? 
Do you think there is a way to meaningfully overcome the divide? Do you think either school wants to? You know, I, I think there is a uh, difference between the perception and the reality. Um, so the, the first thing I'll say is that for many of the, especially the, the black students at Louisiana Tech, their social lives are really more so connected with Grambling. Okay, and so, uh, you know, and, and I, I've just heard this from, uh, from, from a former coach here recently that when, uh, when Tech would bring their, uh, their uh, prospective student athletes in for a visit, one of the first places they brought them was to Grambling so they could see wow. the, the campus and, and, and to see the students here because it, it, it is a part. And, and Dr. Geis, uh, Les Geis, of course, is the um, uh, president at, at Louisiana Tech now. And he and I talked about that one day, that, that you know, Grambling provides a certain level of social interaction that black students uh, long for but can't get it at Tech. They get it here, which, you know, which, which is fine. Um, we have always shared, um, you know, faculty and access to uh, to classes. So, uh, for you know, a Grambling student who wants or needs to take a class at Louisiana Tech, uh, they can do that, and 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 vice versa. I think probably more of our students take advantage of of taking classes there. But just because of you know timing and schedules and whatever else, it is something that. Um, uh, that that both schools have done for a really long time. That that's not that's not something new. Uh, I can tell you that there are very few people who were more supportive of our attempts to uh, start the cybersecurity and cloud computing programs than Les Geis and Louisiana Tech. I mean, they were partners with us all the way through. And and you know, the fact of the matter is, with uh, with cyber, you know, we're connected with the Cyber Innovation Center over in in Bossier City. Um, there are literally hundreds of thousands of jobs in cybersecurity that are going unfilled today because there's just not a, uh, enough workers out in, in the workforce to fill the jobs. And so uh, they understand the importance of not only supporting a sister institution, but in terms of being able to provide a diverse workforce in cyber and in, in so many other areas too but in, in cyber in particular, that it's, it's in our national interest. Uh, it, is, it is in our commercial interest. It is in all of our best interest to have, have a diverse workforce, especially in, uh, in, in that technology field. So I, I think, you know, really it, it's more of a, of a perception that, that there's not this, this cozy relationship. I mean, you know, there's, uh, you know, if I pick up the phone and, and call uh, Dr. Geis, uh, or he picks up the phone and calls me, you know, we're going to work together on what, whatever, you know, whatever the, the situation is. And, and I'll say with our faculties, it's the, uh, it, it's the exact, same, uh, exact same way. Our student government uh, officers tend to work closely uh, together on, uh, on, on matters of, of social interest. I, I remember in the, um, po right after the George Floyd incident, it was actually a, a, a a Louisiana Tech student who initiated a march in Ruston that started on Tech's campus and went to um, you know, down Alabama to, um, to to City Hall, and so you know you had the the presidents of, of Grambling and Southern, Grambling and Southern, Grambling and Louisiana Tech, 
uh, our SGA officers, uh, students, uh, you know, community people, all walking together to show um, unity in our uh, in our community. So, yeah, yeah, I I, I think it's it's not uh, it's not as bad as, as some might uh, might think it is. Thank you for that. Okay, so the next question is going to be, Divine Nine organizations are widely known for their civil rights advocacy and their community service. As a member of Kappa Alpha Kappa, how did you and fellow Grambling students participate in activism and impact the surrounding community while you were a student? Do you view student activism in a different light now that you are president? Kappa Alpha Psi. I'm sorry, but I'm reading. I'm reading. <laughs> That's okay. Somebody put a typo on there. Uh, no, yeah, look, I, I think um, Divine Nine and not not just the Divine Nine. I mean, there we have a lot of other um, student organizations on, on campus that are, are very involved in, uh, in, in activism. Um, you know, routinely you see, uh, you know, Greek and non-Greek organizations doing, uh, you know, voter registration drives, which... Uh, you know, our, it, it's something that that you know, it's not just the the divine nine. When I talked about the um, uh, the march that took place in in Ruston, you had you know all sorts of, of student groups that were represented at um, you know at at that march. And so you know certainly you know Kappas have been uh, you know very active and on the forefront. You know of course I you know was involved in politics here for for quite some time. Um, but you know, and I I, I joke with, uh, with with some of the alphas. Uh, before I ran for uh, for the um, legislature, I actually uh, ran unsuccessfully for uh, for city judge. And uh, the Ruston City Court has uh, parish wide jurisdiction, so as a Grambling resident, I could could run for that. No no minority had ever run for judge in in Lincoln Parish history, and it's, and still to this day. Uh, well, except for me, nobody else has, has run before or, or after. And although I'm I'm a kappa, I have to say that the alpha stepped up, you know, stronger than than anybody in in helping me as a candidate to get students registered and and to actually get get students to to the polls. I remember the one of the members literally. You probably couldn't get away with this now. Put a chair on the uh on the yellow line between the the union and the calf with a bullhorn saying get over here and register to vote you know and uh so so yeah no it i i think you know we certainly as an institution all across the board not not just divine nine but but everybody i think understands the importance and, and again that's one of the really great things about uh, about a, a campus community like this is is that there are those things that that we come together on and there there's so many things that we have in common as opposed to things that we you know that we don't see eye to eye on there there are a lot more things we agree on than than not and sorry to those cappers about that type <laughs> that's okay in Gremlin's past there have been incidents of misappropriation of funds by past presidents and cashiers how have these incidents affected the university and what have you done to stop these incidents from happening again? Yeah, so I don't think that there was ever a situation where a president uh, was uh, was tagged with uh, with a misappropriation. Uh, if there was, it, it's certainly not coming coming to me. But it finances certainly have been uh, you know have 
been a, a real challenge for for this university over time. Um, you know, there there was a point in time where you know we couldn't get a, a you know an audit, a clean audit, um, because the the books just weren't in um, uh, weren't in good shape. And, and and part of that has to do with, um, with with the turnover in leadership. So when when you think about it, again, you know, we talked about the first ninety years, three presidents, and then you know ten after that. Uh, which includes three uh, three interims or, or acting presidents. So there's there's turnover and and you lose the ability to have continuity across the the finance area in in particular. And so you know when when I got here, um, I was made aware of uh, you know of a potential theft situation taking place within the finance office. And so. Uh, you know, I immediately turned that over to our um, internal auditor, who was able to go in and, and in fact, find that there had been uh, misappropriation of funds that were uh, were being uh, done by some of the uh, workers in the finance office. And so, those things were turned over to the legislative auditor as well as to the district attorney. And so, those who uh, were found to have participated in that were number one fired, uh, and then number two were uh, were prosecuted for uh, for the theft. So, uh, you know, I mean, it, it happens in in every organization. Unfortunately, I mean, there was a uh, a big big theft at the uh, uh, Louisiana Tech ticket office. One of the employees there uh, was able to um, uh, steal about seventy five thousand dollars in in ticket revenue. You just don't always hear about it. As much as as uh, uh, as you do here, and so you know, since um, getting that uh, that matter cleared up, you know, we've had uh, three uh, successive no findings in our audits, which you know I've I've lived here long enough to not remember that ever being the case. If if it has happened, I certainly haven't. Uh, I don't remember it where there were no findings for three successive audits. And so, you know, we, we certainly have turned the corner on that, uh, but, but it, like anything else, it requires diligence. It, it requires commitment to continuing to, uh, to, to do things uh, right and to hire the right people and, and to have the checks and balances um, that, um, you know, that, that will hopefully uh, prevent things like that from, uh, from, from happening again. But again, you, and, and technology is, is made it so much easier to, uh, to to kind of put guardrails around your your finance operations so that uh, the the room to to do those kinds of things are are, are are minimized. You know, it's like when when you think about our homecoming activities, like that the midnight breakfast and a lot of the um, alumni events, for instance. You can only purchase those tickets online, so so there's no cash that's that's you know being transacted during that time where you know people are partying and you know whatever they're they're doing so so that way uh we put in a system where you you can't put your hand in the cookie jar because because there's no jar to to put your hand in it's it's all electronic uh transactions and and it's clean it's auditable and uh, and, and you prevent those kinds of things from from happening so certainly we continue to uh, to utilize technology and best practices uh, to, uh, to to be able to ensure that we don't have those those kinds of uh, things to, to happen and you know as a as a leader I mean you know the last thing that you ever want to see is your school on the front page again 
for uh, you know for some type of especially financial impropriety and and so we, we take that very seriously and you know I know that you know and ultimately I'm I'm the only one who ultimately hires and fires okay so I, I accept that uh, that that responsibility but if you know we find that that someone has um, you know has has done something that that's inappropriate then you know we're not going to hesitate to make a change I don't I don't care, you know, who they're related to. Uh, I don't care how long they they've worked here, uh, you know, th- because in order for uh, businesses to to have confidence in investing in Grambling, or students having confidence that that their tuition dollars are, are going where where they're supposed to, you know, we our books have to reflect that that we take uh, that we take finance seriously, and so uh, you know, I'm I'm, I'm grateful that we are where we are now but again it requires us to continue to be diligent as we uh, you know as we go forward i agree i agree with you on that completely it definitely like helps for students to trust in their university and trust in the integrity of it but it also helps with the perception of gremlin we need that good representation of us being a school of integrity us being a school who take care of takes care of its students and i feel like you're doing that wonderfully well I, I appreciate it and you know like one one of the things um you know and I, I got an email about this a couple of days ago so um like with the intramural center and the new pool you know we did have a kind of a soft opening earlier this week because i promised that we would have it open uh before the end of february so i, I couldn't uh, not they were gonna hold you to it. yeah that's right <laughs> absolutely i know it. my word is my bond um but you know we we have students who say you know you know, I, I paid for that pool, and of course, a $25 fee every semester is, you know, that's what students uh, voted to approve back in 2012 in order to do the renovation um, and, and the improvements at the, uh, the intramural and, and the new uh, natatorium that, that goes with it. But, you know, when you think about that facility being right at $9 million, that, that $25 is, is, you know, it that's a very small part of the overall cost of a facility like that. And so, you know, the, the other thing is just looking at, at all of the fees and, and we've not increased student fees uh, since I've been president. Now, the only thing we did increase was the, um, uh, the distance learning fee because it, it hadn't been adjusted since 1994 <laughs> until I think it was like 20, uh, 2018 that that we made the uh, made the change there so obviously you know uh, that was an area that that need but as far as all of the other fees um, you know we have we've pushed back on on doing that now there there were two student uh, initiated fees that were added on one was I think two dollars for the lab the radio lab which is just down the hall from from where we are and I think the other one was for, for the marching band. It was maybe another $2 or, or so, something like that. But those were fees that were initiated by and requested by students. This was, you know, nothing that the, that the university has, uh, you know, has initiated. And, you know, we just have to live within our means and, and be good stewards over, uh, you know, the fees that we do get. And, and just a little bit more on that, you know, like when I went to the legislature in 2000, the state of Louisiana was funding about uh, 65% of all higher ed funding. So that, that meant for 
for every dollar that we you know that we received here on campus 65 cents came from the state the other 35 uh, cents came from you know uh, tuition fees and whatnot under former governor bobby jindal that an entire funding model changed so now only 25 percent of our funding comes from the state of louisiana the other 75 percent comes from student tuition and fees so i mean it was it was completely turned uh, turned upside down and, and so you know we we've had to uh you know adjust to to that new reality and and so you know, and it's always interesting when I, you know, we'll, we'll meet with with faculty, for instance, and that's one particular department. It's not the history department, uh, but an, another department that I, I, I've, I've met with, and they say, "Well, we used to get funding from the state to do this and this and this." Yeah, well, yeah, we used to get funding for a lot of different things, but that's no longer the case now. And and really, there are a couple of schools in the University of Louisiana system who actually end up sending more back to the state than they get in, in terms of um, insurance, uh, other mandated costs and, and benefits for employees. So uh, the state sends them money and then they end up sending more back to the state than they, than they actually receive. So it, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a balance, you know, and that, that's one of the other things that, that um, and, and we're gonna be doing a lot more in this particular area is that as an institution, we have to understand the importance of customer service, okay? And so, you know, when students go into an office for whatever, you should feel valued. Right. Like you being there is, is important to, to that person. And so, uh, you know, that's, that's something that unfortunately, you know, HBCUs have, uh, have gotten a, you know, pretty bad rap on, on customer service. You know, answer your phone you know respond respond to email okay come to work with a good attitude um you know because again it it's important and and not everybody you know values the student as a customer but i do you know i i think y'all have choices you you can go to other other schools you won't be as amazing as your experience here (laughs) But, but you, you do have choices. And so, you know, if, if you're having a bad day and you go into the cafeteria, last thing you want to do is encounter somebody in there who's also having a bad day and they're going to let you know that. Okay. No, no, we, we have to provide you with, with a, a feeling of, of home away from home. And, and, and you all are the reason why we're here. And, and that, uh, and of course, uh, I hope Dr. McGowan's not uh, looking at me with fire eyes over there, because uh, of course faculty is important, you know. And and without faculty, you can't teach students. I mean, everybody has a has a role to play, you know. But you know, when I have a, a student who comes and says, "Well, um, on the schedule it says TBA, and it's the third week of school, and I don't have a teach-in yet," that's a problem. You have paid to have a faculty member in that classroom teaching, all right? And so the university has a responsibility to make sure that you have teachers in there teaching you on day one. And if, and if we're not doing that, then, then we're doing you a disservice. You know, I believe every student who graduates from Grambling should either be going to uh, grad school or into a job in their field, okay? What does that mean? We've got to get 
our internship program has got to work better. You know, after your, your sophomore year, you need to be going into an internship. You know, you've got to ha- you should have jobs lined up when you graduate or, again, grad school all lined up. And so, you know, these are things that, that we have to and, and we will be doing better at, um, you know, in, in those areas because there, there has to be that value proposition that, that we offer. I don't, I don't ever want to run into a student like I did a couple of years ago, two weeks from graduation, and you know, we're chopping it up in front of uh, Long Jones, and said, he said, Pres, you know, I'm, I'm graduating uh, uh, in two weeks. It's like, oh, man, that's good. What's next? Oh, Pres, I'm just trying to figure it out. No, mm-mm. No, 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 no. no, no. No, you you got you got to begin with the end in mind. You know, I mean, right. we we need to have a plan for you. And if and look, not everybody has got the the kind of support that I had at at home with you know two parents who kept me you know on track. And I mean, I knew I was going to law school. I mean, there there was you know I just I I knew what was next for me. And you know for for our students who lack that that type of support and guidance from home, you know we have to to stand in the gap. Mm-hmm. on that and, and provide you on what you need to be successful. And, and that's why, uh, again, we're, we're leaning in and focusing, um, you know, considerable resources towards our, our career services uh, department so that they can help our students who may not independently have it all figured out mm-hmm. to be able to help you do that along the way. Right, and we need more people like you who, who come from those two-parent households, who come from those privileged backgrounds that are that are not seeing people who are struggling in some sort of way in that area and are saying, well, I got mine. <laughs> well, I got my success. Well, I, I have that privilege and I got to where I was going. But who pushed those students and who are who are that figure for those students and want them to be successful. So we thank you for that. Um, next question would be, in an article you once said, we can create a new economic development model in which HBCUs sit in the center of the plan. And the only thing stopping investors from seeing the potential of Gremlin is the negative assumptions about black people, universities, and cities. How has Gremlin dealt with the issue of systemic racism in American and Louisiana societies? It, it continues to be a struggle, quite frankly. Um, you know, when, when you think about the, the lack of uh, economic activity around the university, you, you have to wonder, you know, why is it that you know, only, you know, until spring market, uh, why is it that, you know, only Ruston grocery stores survive? You know, why, why other than the, the um, you know, our, our retail on campus, why is it that, uh, that there's no retail activity uh, within, the, uh, w- within the city limits of Grambling, other than liquor stores, okay? Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I mean, our budget here Excuse me. At the university, is is little north of, of forty million dollars a year. Okay, I mean, you know, we we buy everything from, from copy paper to you know light bulbs, uh, toilet paper. I mean, you, you name it, we we buy. You know, why don't we have some some minority, um, you know, businesses competing for that work? Okay, and and being located here within the uh, within the city limits of Grandma. You know hotels. Why? Why don't we have a, a hotel here? Why? How can Arcadia, which you know is 15 miles down the road, has you know less population than than we have, no university, okay? Yet they have you know two hotels. Uh, they have uh, 
you know, McDonald's and Burger King and, uh, you know, just all these, these other, um, other businesses. What, what is it about Grambling that, that we won't support and, uh, and, and, and cultivate a, uh, a, a, an environment that is conducive to, to being successful? And so, you know, that, that's an area that, uh, that we as a university will continue to uh, work towards improving, but it takes that town and gown relationship uh, that's that's necessary for, uh, for for that to work, and so, you know, when when the mayor threatens to to sue the university, or, or better yet, after you know after we built the student housing, the the city actually sued the university for twenty five million dollars, saying that the university owed uh, building permit fees. The the city can't can't charge a state institution building permit fees now if i go build a house uh, another house in grambling then yes i have to pay the the, the city government a, a permit fee but the university is exempt from that and and so you know to, to have city leaders who think that uh, that they can you know uh, tax the university into prosperity then you know that that's bad leadership uh, that is that is or, or to you know build their budget on you know writing tickets to students in front of the cafeteria and the and the uh, uh, the bookstore uh, that that's not providing an environment that's conducive to uh, to, to cultivating business so uh, you know there there are a lot of layers to uh, why we don't uh, why, why we don't exist you know one of the other things I'll say is that you know we, we had a situation with a local business who was accepting um, the the tiger card um, tiger one mm-hmm. tiger one card mm-hmm. But instead of you know just letting a student use it to purchase uh, food in this particular place, they would allow the students to say, "I want to get you know fifty dollars," and and they would charge a surcharge. So basically, using the the Tiger One card not to purchase uh, these goods, but as a, a as a way of almost I'm trying to find a a, a, a diplomatic way to to, <laughs> to say it, but but basically using that card for you to get cash which is is uh, is prohibited and so you know we uh we discontinued the relationship with this particular business and you know as long as i'm president they'll never have the ability to uh do business with the university again in that way because you you squandered the 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 ability to provide a service to students and you reap the, uh, uh, the the benefit of of the cost of of that uh, of that service, not as a check cashing kind of kind of deal where you know you you give a student fifty dollars but you charge you know seventy five so you're making twenty five dollars off of that transaction. That's not why it was why it was established, and and we're not going to allow our students to be uh, to be victimized like that. Let's get back to that world fame band. The marching band is among the most well-known parts of the university. What role do you think the band has played in the history of the university? Oh, look, uh, performing in the first uh, Super Bowl and more Super Bowls than any other band or, or entertainer, I think, you know, speaks for it for itself. Uh, you know, and I, I'm, I'm thankful for the partnership with the NFL. And, um, of course, just this past Super Bowl, uh, there was a, a, you know, a feature done on, uh, on world fame. And, and our you know connection with the uh, with the NFL. So uh, I mean, and that's just you know one one thing. Just this past uh, what two days ago, uh, 
well, the first time World Fame marched in the uh, Zulu parade uh, because, or at the request of the Zulu king, uh, uh, Randolph Rudy Davis, who is an alum, uh, and it's the first time that a Grambling alum was uh, was named King of Zulu. And of course, here in Grambling, that may not mean much there, but you know, in, in New Orleans, where you know Mardi Gras is a big deal, being right. Zulu king is a that's a big deal. deal. Yeah. So uh, that that that's just a you know. I mean, look, our bands performed at uh, NBA games, NBA All Star games. I mean, just you know, you, you name it, we we we've done it. And and I think it it continues to. Uh, show you know what a, what a great entity that is, and 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 what a great university uh, the band represents. I agree with you. Um, taking back to what you said about the influence of the HBCU band sound, I remember my mom saying, anytime she's hearing another band, she said, "That's Gremlin." Right, you can tell <laughs> That's Gremlin. You can, you can hear apart. that. You can hear that influence, and we're glad to be a part of that history. Okay, another question for you. Historically, African Americans have lived below the poverty line, making it difficult to obtain higher education. Gremlin's motto is, the place where everyone is somebody. How has Gremlin historically helped students of low economic standing, and how have past presidents implemented changes to help more African American students receive an education? Yeah, so, yeah, we are the place where, where everybody is somebody, and, and you know, we have, um, you know, we've always found a way to the extent that we can uh, to to support our students, you know, financially. So, but but let me also say that uh, that that we as as a people have to do a better job of preparing for this moment. Okay, I mean, so when you know when when my children were born, you know, I knew at some point college is going to be an expense that uh, that that's going to be facing me. Now, you know, our our sixteen year old, uh, you know. God has, has gifted him in, in football. He's probably going to end up with a, you know, with a scholarship. Plus, he's got a, a 3.8 GPA. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I'm not so worried about, about him. But, you know, any athlete's only one, you know, one injury away from, you know, not being able to, to play anymore. But he's got his GPA to, to fall back on. You know, I think, you know, as, uh, you know, as families, we have to – prepare better there there are investment uh, tools out there available that you know you would be surprised that just contributing a small amount consistently over 18 years can put you in a pretty good position and if you're uh, you know if you are of are from a, a lower uh, socioeconomic uh, or income level you know Pell grants and and other need-based um, uh, you know, funding opportunities are out there, but it, it still does not um, uh, it does not absolve a family from uh, from investing, and and that's one of the things I think you know we have to do a better job of. So I'm going to say to two of you, you know, when you get married and you you have start having kids, start uh, an investment a college fund for for your kids when when they're early. So by the time they need it, it it it's there, and so you know. But I, I'll I'll kind of get back to a little bit of, of your question that um, you know we we're very thankful that we've got uh, a lot of alums and others who have contributed to our student gap fund, for instance, that you know help students who who've maxed out their their aid uh, and but still have a gap between the amount they need to complete registration. That that has been helpful. You know, we've got a lot of scholarships available primarily in, in the STEM area. I mean, those, those are areas that many 
uh, of, of our corporate partners uh, have, have invested in, and, and there's an abundance of, uh, of scholarship dollars available there. You know, not so much in, in a lot of the, the liberal arts areas, for instance. And, and so, you know, that's something where, you know, we as an institution certainly, um, you know, I, I would like for us to, to do more, but certainly we're, we're doing what we can based on the, you know, the resources that we, that we have. In 1989, the white faculty members of nursing school resigned in mass due to what they perceived as unfair racial treatment. Do you remember this incident? If so, how do you think it affected the Gremlin community? So I, I do remember it. And again, although I was in law school at the time, um, but I mean, you couldn't be from Gremlin and not know that all that was going on. You know, going back just a little bit, uh, the, the nursing school was, was founded as a result of the settlement of a desegregation lawsuit that was filed by uh, the alumni associations of Grambling and Southern. And so part of that, what we call the consent decree, part of that involved the, uh, the creation of a nursing school, the building the building that is, you know, that is there to, to house it. And the first nursing dean or the founder of, of, the, uh, of the nursing school was Dean Betty uh, Smith, who had been the dean at, at ULM or was Northeast at the time, and, and she, she was white. And so uh, when she came in and, uh, you know, many of the faculty members that, that she brought in were people who were a part of her, of her circle. And, uh, and so I think it, it, it was a, a certain uh, transition and adjustment for, uh, you know, for the, the, the community to uh, to accept the you know the the white dean with with a lot of white faculty and and there was just there was a uh, a lot of tension that that continued to exist uh, throughout that uh, you know throughout that period and and even you know since then but uh, I'd I'd have to say that you know we we've had periods uh, you know of challenge in in our history that uh, you know we have always been able to overcome and move beyond okay and so I think you know where we are now with uh, you know uh, with with the current Dean and, and faculty there and, and students you know that's certainly not something that still uh, haunts us in terms of the uh, the, the current makeup uh, of our and you know Dean Brown Meg Brown who uh, who's the uh, Dean of the nursing school now I mean I, I think uh, you'd be hard to find anybody who would would have those types of complaints about uh, the the faculty who's uh, who's there now so uh, yeah I mean it's you know there, there there are probably a lot of things we could talk about that you know have not been the brightest uh, you know days of, of Grambling's history but you know we we, we turned 120 uh, years uh, this, this past fall and so uh, we always find a way to, uh, to to bounce back and and to be better on the other side of challenge Okay, we got two more questions for you. We're not okay. going to keep you too long. Okay, in 2013, Gremlins football players went on strike to voice their irrigation against the athletic department's lack of resources and inadequate facilities. What did the president before you do to solve this problem? Did you agree with his course of action? If so, how have you worked toward that goal? If not, what have you done different? So, you know, following the... Uh, you know the tradition of um, you know and certainly in the US presidency with the exception of the last one uh, you know presidents don't tend to criticize 
previous presidents, and I, I'm certainly not going to, to to do that now, just out of respect for you know Dr. Pogue, who was um, uh, who was the president during uh, during this time, and of course uh, uh, Doug Williams was the uh, was the coach, and um, you know, there were just a, a lot of dynamics that that took place uh, during that time period. This was also uh, a period, uh, and I talked about it earlier, that there was the largest disinvestment in higher education in the state of Louisiana in, in our history. And so, um, you know, when you think about the state not providing the, kind, the level of funding that, uh, that previously had been, then that cut into, you know, deferred maintenance, and that, you know, that includes, you know, uh, furniture and, and flooring roofing issues you know lighting you know just everything that, that would fit into routine maintenance you know when when your budget is being constricted and and you know what what's the first thing that you cut you, you cut the things that are that are not uh that are not immediate and uh and urgent and uh and so that's what we saw during that period the, the other thing and I, I talked to you all about the the shift in the in the funding model where the state had been providing 65 percent well, not only that, but admission criteria was also raised during this period. So that, that meant that you had to have a higher GPA and, and a higher ACT score to get in. We lost 500 students in one semester. Wow. And so you do the math, you know, on, on how that impacts the university's budget. When you lose 500 uh, students at one time, from one semester to the next, you have 500 less students. Uh, and 75% of your budget is based on those students' tuition dollars. So uh, th there were just there was a lot that that went on during during that period. That you know, as as I looked at it, and I guess I was um, in the state senate at the time. Um, you know, I'm, I'm sure there are some things I would have done differently. But uh, at the same time, you know, I, I will always respect the uh, you know the the, the fact that. I was not president at the time. Perhaps I didn't know everything that was going on, and and you know will not venture into you know trying to point fingers at you know who should have done what. I'm just I'm thankful that we have moved beyond that, and uh, and certainly the the, the football program uh, and the university is in a very very different uh, place today. And, and I'll just if I could just add this other little financial nugget right quick. You know when I came in in, in 2016. We were um, our uh, student housing was financed through the bond market, and we were paying about a five and a half percent interest rate on that that loan. Well, we refinanced it with the uh, with the Department of Education, and that interest rate went from five and a half down to two and a half percent. So we were saving about a million two annually just on our debt service. Okay. Now, fast forward to uh, the COVID uh, pandemic and the uh, relief packages that were passed by Congress. Grambling and 43 other HBCUs had their loans forgiven in that, that uh, Department of Ed uh, program. So 44 HBCUs had their loans forgiven. For us, that meant $87 million that we no longer owe to the Department of Education because of, of that. So you know, from a, a cash management standpoint, you know, we're, we're, in, we're in a really great spot right now. You know, financially, we, we are probably in the best financial shape we've, we've ever been in. And, and part of it, and I don't, I don't say this, you know, trying to uh, toot my own horn, but, but to say that 
when opportunities present themselves, you know, as, as leaders, we have to act on it, you know. And so, you know, making that, uh, that, that refinancing at that particular time was something that, uh, that, that is, it put us in a position to reap a, a pretty significant windfall. Uh, and so uh, I'm, I'm very, very grateful that, that we are in a period of, of financial stability now that, that quite frankly, I don't, I don't know that we as an institution have ever been in. Wow. Okay, so the last question is going to be for the ladies. <laughs> the band, for the first time in its history, has both a female director and a female drum major. Do you see this as a major step towards gender equality? Oh, ab- absolutely. But, but I also think it, it speaks to the, uh, the, the quality and qualifications of, uh, you know, of those two ladies who, who serve in, in those roles. So, you know, with, with Dr. Roebuck. You know, she marched in, in the band. Uh, you know, she uh, got her degree here, got her master's from, uh, from uh, ULM, got her, her doctorate from, I think, University of Memphis uh, in, in music. So uh, very much qualified to be not only the head of the Department of Music, but also the, um, the, the band director or, or the director of, of bands. And when you think about Candace and, you know, the fact that, you know, she was in leadership, worked her way up through leadership in, in the band and she competed and we, she was, she was selected not because she was a female, she was selected because she's qualified to be drum major. And, and so, uh, you know, I, I wanted to be drum major. I couldn't do the back bend. That was, <laughs> <laughs> that was a special person. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and so, um, you know, I, I, I want to be clear that, uh, you know, certainly I had nothing to do with, with Candace being, uh, being the drum major, but, you know, as far as with, with Dr. Roebuck being the director of bands and, and the um, uh, head of the Department of Music, she was qualified. She was eminently qualified to, to serve in, uh, in that role. And so, uh, yes, I'm, I'm, I'm grateful that, it, it, that this has occurred uh, during this time, but it's because they, they deserved the opportunity to, uh, to to serve in those roles. Absolutely. And they serve well. Right. We want to thank you so much for being here today, sure. allowing these historians to pick your brain of a fellow historian. We thank you, Press, for being here. And any closing words? It's, yeah. a, it's a blessing and an honor to be in the presence. It, it really is. Awesome. Well, ho- hopefully I didn't do too bad and y'all invite me back at some point. You gave me a ear. You got the you got the names. I gotta look up some names. You gave me all of it. Thank you. All right. Thank y'all. God bless. Thank you. Thank you for listening to our Voices of Gremlin podcast. Questions were written by Simone Mon, Natalie Warren, Aja Edwards, and Alexandra Williams, all students in Gremlin State University's History Department. The Voices of Gremlin podcast is a production of the History Department at Gremlin State University. It is developed by the students and faculty. Funding for the 2021 Rebirth Grants has been administrated by the Louisiana Endowment for the Humanities and provided by the National Endowment for the Humanities as part of the American Rescue Plan and the NEH Sustaining the Humanities through the American Rescue Plan Initiative. Any views, findings, conclusions, or recommendations expressed in this program do not necessarily represent those of the National Endowment for the Humanities. And And thank thank you you so so much much for listening. listening.